for the reflection for the message this afternoon, I want for us to look at Lord's Day 49, where we'll look at the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 49, if you want to follow along in your book of praise, you'll find it on page 556 in the back of the book of praise. Question 124 is asking this question, what is that third petition? The answer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we go through life, one thing that is often motivating us is to want to do the will of God. That's what God calls for us as Christians. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray after they had asked him about that, one of the petitions, the third position to be exact, is the petition in which Jesus taught his disciples, and you and I today then as well, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it easy for us, really, to pray that petition and mean it? It's easy for us sometimes when someone asks us about plans that we are making. It's easy for us to sometimes say, well, these are the plans uh, that we are making. We're going to be having this anniversary or, or that activity, the Lord willing. And it slips out from our mouth. But I wonder if it, as much, in as much as it may slip out of our mouth to say the Lord willing, if it really comes from our heart reminding ourselves that really it is God's will that we are asking for it to be done. In our announcements that we make on, in our periodicals and our Christian uh, newsletters and so on, sometimes we put the words DV at the end of those announcements. I can recall as a young boy an interesting humorous anecdote perhaps asking my mother, as I was reading the Christian periodical, what does that DV mean? And my mother, not knowing any Latin, but being very Dutch, said, that simple son, it means the Lord willing. <laughs> and while we may chuckle about that, we know that it comes from the Latin, or perhaps if we don't know, you will now, that it, becomes from, it comes from the words Deo Volente. She had it right, didn't she? It does mean the Lord willing as we go through different experiences of our life and want to submit ourselves to what the Lord wants to have happen in our lives. But it's not an easy thing to do as Christians. 
Because as we think through the Lord's will, we have a tendency to want to do our own thing rather than to follow the Lord's will. As we go through this message, I want to look at three areas about the Lord's will, which come out also from the Catechism and also are a part of what is taught in the prophecy of Jonah. There are a lot of things in the prophecy of Jonah that can be reflected on, but I want to focus just on one aspect of the prophecy of Jonah, and that is the will of God. What happens when we don't follow the will of God? Think about Jonah. And what happens when we do finally then follow the will of God, thinking again about the example that God gives to us in the life of Jonah? And I want to look at three different areas of that. I want to first of all look at defining the will of God. What is the will of God? How do we define that? Secondly, I want to look at having defined the will of God, how do we discern what is the will of God? How do we differentiate between our will or somebody else's will and what really is God's will? And having discerned what God's will then is, how do I follow that will of God in my life? Discerning, I'm sorry, defining, discerning, and following the will of God of God. And as we look at this, I want for us, in terms of defining the will of God, I want us to focus on what the first paragraph of the question that is being asked, what does it mean, what does this third petition mean in the Heidelberg Catechism, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and on the top of page 557, that first question, that is, which means really, this means, or this is what we profess as God's people. Grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without murmuring obey your will for it alone is good. Deny our own will and obey your will. But with that part in the middle that says without any murmuring. Are we able to profess that and really say that we are willing to follow God's will without any murmuring? Or as it says in some of the translations, without any back-talking, without any sense of fatalism and say, well, if that's what you want, then I will do it. If we are really to understand what the will of God is and define it, we need to understand who God is. We need to understand who God is because it is God's will that we are talking about. And God's will reflects the one whose will it is. It reflects God. So I want to look at five characteristics of God which are reflected in this will which is his. First of all, we need to look at the fact that God is sovereign, and if God is sovereign, his will is sovereign. And that's where we come into play with what I suggested earlier already. 
when we looked at the fact that we have a tendency by our own human nature to be want, want to really be our own person. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I want. I know who I want to be. I know what I want to do. And I don't want anyone to tell me what I should do. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I'm a grown woman. I'm a grown man. Well, if you know your catechism well enough, you know that the first answer to the question and answer of the catechism reminds us already that we do not belong to ourselves. We are not our own. I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Our identity is not in ourselves. Our identity is in Christ who has called us to be his disciples. And if we are going to be faithful disciples, we need to learn to follow his will. God is sovereign. He knows everything. He is in control of everything. And his will for us in our lives reflects that very thing that God knows what we should be doing he knows everything about our lives, and he makes his decisions by his own good pleasure, by the way, according to those things that he knows about us in our lives. Jonah learned this lesson in a very difficult way. Because in the first chapter of the prophecy of Jonah, we read about the fact that Jonah, the will of God was that Jonah would go to Nineveh. But Jonah decides to go to Tarshish. Jonah's going to do his own thing, you see. Sound familiar? And what happens when we follow our own will instead of following what God's will is? I'm not going to suggest to you that every time we follow our own will that we will be somehow swallowed up by a great fish. But I can proclaim to you from the lesson that we receive from this that if we follow our own will rather than follow the Lord's will, things will not go well. And God will find other disastrous things to allow to happen in our lives until we wake up to the fact that we are called upon to follow his sovereign will and do so willingly. Do so without complaining and not begrudgingly. I guess that's the way it has to be. That's the way it has to be. I guess I'll do it. No. God's call is for us to follow, look out for his will, search out his will, his sovereign will, and to follow it willingly and gladly. That's not easy. Jonah discovered what happens when we don't follow that will of God. God's will is sovereign. I'm sorry, God is sovereign and his will then is sovereign. Not only that, God, another characteristic of God is that he is a wise God, and if he is a wise God and his will reflects who he is, therefore his will also is a wise will. He knows what is best for us. He knows better than your mom or dad, than your grandpa or grandma, than your friends, 
than anyone else, he knows what is best for you. And he applies his will to our lives on the basis of the fact that he knows everything about you. It's very connected to the sovereignty that we just read about. I do a lot of flying for my ministry into Latin America, and I know that every time I get onto the airplane, I have to trust that the pilot knows what he's doing with all of those, I don't know, those instruments and, and all of the different things and the buttons he has to push and so on. I, I know that I'm sitting down in my chair and thinking and wondering, boy, I sure hope he's pushing all of the right buttons in the right way. And I'm trusting this pilot because he knows more than I do. He's a wise and has been trained for that. God doesn't need any training. He simply knows everything by his own nature. And we need to submit our will completely over to the wise direction from God. What that means then is that we need to conform our will to the will of God. I was making a distinction earlier between do we follow our own will or do we follow God's will? Well, really, what we need to be doing is to amend our will or change our will or mold our will so that it becomes what God's will is, so that God's will is our will. What God wants is what I want in life because he knows what is best. No looking for the easy way out. Jonah looked for the easy way out. It was a whole lot easier for him to go to Tarshish and have a vacation, I suppose, than to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard of the gospel before. He knew the task was great and he ran away from it. But God stopped him short on that in a very incredible way. And as we see and we read through chapter one, about the event that took place in the sea there and, and as, the, as the sailors threw Jonah over sea, overboard and, and the water subsided and then Jonah then gets swallowed up by this great fish, we begin to see that somehow God is taking control of things, isn't he? How many days did Jonah spend in the belly of that great fish? fish. We read from the scriptures that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do you remember another incident in the scriptures of someone who spent three days in the grave, buried, before he was raised again? We can't read the prophecy of Jonah without seeing that there's a message about Christ in this prophecy. Furthermore, as Jonah is in the belly of this great fish, now children, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be in the belly of a fish with all of the food that would be added to yourself in the belly of this big fish, seaweed, and all of whatever it is that a whale eats. Yes. It wasn't a very comfortable experience for Jonah. And Jonah must have certainly felt that he was abandoned by God as he was in the belly of this fish. But there's only one person who really has gone through the full experience of being abandoned by God. 
What Jonah went through was a reflection of what Jesus Christ went through when he was abandoned completely by God. And the words that he himself uses, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he's on the cross and he cries out those words. Experiencing that complete abandonment, separation from God because of your sin and my sin and Jonah's sin and the sin of the entire world. Why? So that we would not have to experience that abandonment completely. But Jonah goes through the motions, at least, of sensing and knowing what that, what that abandonment might be like, although God, as we know, did not abandon him completely because we learn from the end of chapter 2 that the fish then vomits him up on dry land. We know that God is sovereign and wise and his will is sovereign and wise. A third characteristic of God is that he is a just God and if he is a just God and his will reflects who he is, then his will is a just will. God will do what is right in his own eyes in your life. The fact that God is a just God is reflected in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, where we read this, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on him. Blessed are those who acknowledge the fact that God is a just God and simply follow where God is leading in their lives and don't do their own thing as Jonah learned that lesson hard. Let's take a prime example in the scriptures of someone who was faced with a very difficult decision and had to choose whether he was going to do what he wanted to do or follow the Lord's will, and that is the person of Jesus Christ himself. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew that he was going to have to go through the experience, the suffering and the experience on the cross and be, and be buried and go through all of that. In Matthew chapter 26, we read these words. In, in verse 39, we read, Going a little further, he, that is Jesus, fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then in verse 42, he repeats that same struggle. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. D-V. And it was spoken from his heart because he was perfectly following the will of God and he knew that it was because of God's justice that he needed to go to the cross. God's justice needed to be satisfied and is satisfied through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that Jesus Christ prayed that prayer and followed God's will. It is because he prayed, may your will be done, and then went to the cross and went through that experience that you and I are exonerated from having to go through that experience. We are forgiven. 
when we confess our sins to God and he forgives us, we are going through this experience of having our sins, the punishment for our sins, the justice of God being met through his son Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. God is sovereign, wise, just, and his will is sovereign, wise, and just. God is a good God, and his will is good. God has only the good in mind for his people. They are, after all, a reflection of him. They are, after all, called by him. And it promotes, he has our best interests in mind. Back to the Garden of Eden. What would our world have been like if Adam had prayed the prayer of Jesus and said, may your will be done and not mine or that of this slithering snake that has come into the garden? But Adam didn't. Adam followed the will of Satan rather than the will of God, and there's where sin came into our world today. We've talked about that this morning already with the seed of doubt that is planted into Eve and then into Adam from there, and that has become a part of our own lives since that time. We can't begin to talk about the will of God without recognizing that the definition of sin is not doing the will of God. When we sin, we are not following God's will. And that's how we would define sin. It's a very simple definition. It doesn't have to be a complicated theological discussion. Sin simply is not following the will of God. And there are consequences that are a part of it. And as we think that through, then we know that as a part of what is all a part of God's will in our lives, there is that constant wrestling with the will of God over against the will of Satan in our lives. Martin Luther, when he reflects on this third petition, talks about that wrestling that goes on between following God's will and following the will of Satan. In one of his writings, he says this, let thy will be done, O Father, in one of his prayers. Martin Luther was a man of prayer. Let thy will be done, O Father, and not the will of the devil or of any of those who would overthrow thy holy word or hinder the coming of thy kingdom and grant that all we may have to endure for its sake may be borne with patience and overcome so that our poor flesh may not yield or give way from weakness or laziness that we may not yield or give because of weakness or laziness. It is because we, by our human nature, are weak that we cave in to Satan's will instead of God's will. It is because we are spiritually lazy that we give in to sin rather than follow God's will in our lives. We are responsible for that. We cannot blame everyone else. Oh, you don't understand what kind of a family I was raised in. I am the way I am because of the way 
my parents raised me or because of the things that have happened, the circumstances in my life, that's why I am the way I am and not doing what God wants me to do. Don't believe a word of it. You are responsible for how you respond to it and more correctly, you are responsible to listen to the leading of God's Holy Spirit in your life who will direct and guide you in the way that you should go and take responsibility for the sin. No excuses allowed for not following the will of God. No excuses for the sin that is a part of our lives. Our catechism pushes this even a little bit further when it talks about the meaning of this, especially when it is your will be done on earth, Satan and his pressures and what we go through in our lives, as it is in heaven. And that second part, as it is in heaven, is a reflection, at least as the catechism professes that on our behalf. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven know the disastrous consequences of not following the will of God. They also know the blessings that come as they see what is happening in our world today. The blessings that come when followers of Jesus Christ do indeed follow God's will in their lives. Jonah also learned that lesson. Oh, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he learns the consequences of what it means not to follow the will of God in his life. But read through in chapter 3, and we see that after God speaks to him again and sends him to Nineveh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that when he follows God's will, that things go much better for those who were God's target in Nineveh. The gospel is received and responded to the gospel that Jonah then preaches to them in verse 5, chapter 3. So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And how does God respond? Verse 10, then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. God's, in his goodness, reminds us that when we follow his will, we will be blessed when we don't follow God's will, when we sin, we will be cursed. And we need to pay the consequences for that. The eternal consequence of which is offered up in the person of Jesus Christ. One more characteristic. God is sovereign. God is wise. He's just. He is good. And his will reflects that. God is irresistible. And his will is irresistible. When we know what God's will is, oh, we can perhaps try to oppose it, but guess what? We can't stop it. We can't change it. We can't get around it. God will do what God 
will do, regardless of who we are and what we do. His will is irresistible because God's call on our life through his Holy Spirit is also irresistible. And we need to be reminded of that because Jonah learned that same thing. After we read in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. After Jonah does his own thing, quote-unquote, and comes around and understands that he needs to do what God wants him to do, God doesn't then come to him in chapter 3 and say, well, okay, if you really don't want to do that, go ahead and do your own thing. What comes to us in verse 1 of chapter 3? The same words as in chapter 1, verse 1, the same commandment. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, and it's the same thing, isn't it? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. As in verse 2, cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. His will doesn't change, simply because we may be stubborn in our lives. One of the things that we learn about the will of God is that there are two aspects of the will of God. One aspect of the will of God that is a secret aspect of his will, only he knows, and the other aspect that is his, what we call his revealed will. He shows us that part of his will. The secret will of God is something that we will never really know the details of. Examples, our death. We do not know when we will die. God knows. That's a part of his secret will. It's not for us to know. We do not know when Jesus Christ is going to come again. I know there are many who will try to set the dates, and I have had many experiences in my travels through Latin America of times, and people who have had signs up saying, Jesus is coming again. I was there in Latin America during the time when Harold Camping was making his announcements during that May, and during the week that the date of his final, uh, the second coming was supposed to happen, I was traveling in Nicaragua, and I had many conferences dealing with that subject and that Friday was supposed to be that day and I was doing a conference on that Friday and the students were asking questions they weren't necessarily following that but they certainly were asking me how is it that we can understand all of these things Friday came and went on the day that Jesus Christ presumably was supposed to be coming again and it came and went and Saturday morning we had our conference and we talked about it again we don't know even Jesus said it was not for him to know when he was asked, but for the Father in heaven. That's a part of his secret will. We must be ready for it at any time. But there is a part of his will that is revealed to us. And that's what I want to focus on as we move on into the next part of the lesson on Jonah and his prophecy. Because then we need to ask ourselves, so how do we discern what is the will of God? There are three things that I want to bring to your attention that come out of our lesson here. First of all, we are going to learn what the will of God is by knowing his word. There's no better way to know what the will of God is than by studying his scripture. God has given us the principles and the basic teachings of what his will is for us in our lives through his word. 
we, those who are a part of the world, have a tendency to look into the future, wondering and asking questions about what they should be doing or how things are going to go, and they will dial up 1-800-PSY-CHIC-100 psychic to try to find out something about their future. Or they will look to the horoscopes or the stars, read the horoscopes, or look to the stars. Let me ask you this. Who made the stars? God? Then who will know what's going on in our world except for he who has created everything in our world, only God? Nothing in our world today will give you the answer to the questions about your future except for God and his will as he has revealed it to us in his word. You want to know what the will of God is? Read his word study his word, dig in, in the church services, in your private devotions, in your family devotions, in your group devotions, learn what God's will is as we read through that in his word. But, may some of you say, Pastor, where in the Bible do I hear what job I should do or what training I should take or what school I should go to or who exactly I should marry. Does, does the Bible give me direction that I should go to Fanshawe College or to or community college here in Owen Sound? Does the Bible tell me specifically whether I should go to Redeemer College or Dort College or Christian College or another university? I don't get direction from that. So how do I know what God's will is for my lives? God gives us a precious gift to help us in making those decisions about specific details of our lives. And that gift is called the church, the body of believers. Because as God has given us this gift, we are called upon to ask of those who are spiritually mature in our midst, elders, the pastor, leaders in the church, godly mothers and fathers and uncles and aunts and grandparents and great-grandparents who know the scriptures and know us and are able to counsel us in some of the specific details of God's will for our lives. It is okay to ask of spiritual leaders in the church what do you believe I should do in this specific situation? Knowing I know the general guidelines, you know the general principles, but being able to have the body of believers represent that wisdom that God gives to us and being able to move us along and help us to make some of those specific decisions in life. The last thing that Satan wants is for you to be plugged in to this great gift of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Because he knows that the only way that he will be able to continue to trick you and to seed those plants, plant those seeds of doubt in you and get you to do his will instead of God's will is to keep you away from church and from the body of believers and from the Christian family that we are a part of. God's gift to us is that, so that we may learn to know what his will is specifically for our lives. But there's one more element that helps us in knowing and discerning the will of God for our lives, and that is to maintain a walk with God.
walk with him. Spend time with God every morning, every night, every day of your life. Don't take a break from it. The more you come to know God, the better you will be able to understand what his will is for your lives. Perhaps an analogy of the marriage is a good one for us to take. I know my kids often reflect on that in my marriage, our marriage relationship between my wife and I this month, 36 years. And how often my kids will, well, when they were growing up, you know how maybe your kids are different. They would try to play mom off against dad. Hmm? And they'll ask mom a question because they know how dad's going to answer it. And they'll say to mom, Could you, can I do this and can I do that and so on and so forth. Or they'll ask dad a question and knowing that, that mom's not going to be very excited about this kind of a thing. And, and if they go to mom, mom will say, well, why don't you go talk to dad? Well, mom, you already know what dad is going to say. Why don't you just tell me? And they will say how much we think alike, my wife and I. Why? Because we know each other. I can think her thoughts even before she says it. And she, vice versa, with me. We spend every day together for 37 years. Well, except for my travel days. We know each other. And in the same way that you have that intimacy in the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, knowing each other very, very well and intimately that way, that's how our relationship with God should be so that we can think his thoughts after him. Peter writes about that. Because we know him so well. We need to spend time daily with him. And as we do that, then we will begin to know and to understand and get a sense for where God wants us to go in life and the decisions that he wants us to make in our own lives. There, is, there are those who would say, well, if you have to make a decision, let your conscience be your guide. I'm not so sure I'd buy that one. Because sometimes our conscience becomes dulled. We do things that we know we shouldn't be doing, and we know it's wrong until we do it more and more and more often, perhaps, and then after a while we say, well, I don't think the same way now about it as I did before. It doesn't bother me to do the wrong thing now as much as it did before because my conscience is dulled. You want to follow that concept about the conscience being your guide. Let me add something to that. Let your conscience be your guide in as much as your conscience is guided along by God's Holy Spirit and his word. Let God's Spirit blaze a teaching and a direction on your conscience so that you will know what is right and know what is wrong and follow what is right and leave behind what is bad. That's following the will of God in your life, knowing more and more about God in that. Well, we've defined the will of God and we've discerned, talked about discerning what the will of God is for our lives. How then, when we've discerned the will of God for our lives, do we follow God's will? There are a couple of things that we need to be reminded of as a part of following God's will because there are indeed times when we have a decision to make about specific things going on and specific decisions in our lives in which one, uh, one decision and another decision and a third decision may equally follow what God's will is and his word at least and what others may be advising us in our lives 
Let me suggest to you that if you are caught in making a decision and wrestling with that in your lives, ask yourself this question. Of the options that I have to choose from, which of those options would more advance the kingdom of God in my life? Which would be more consistent with the advancement of God's kingdom in my life, of the options that I have, who I will marry, what kind of work I will do, where I will live, how I will raise my children. Which of the options will be more consistent with the advancing of God's kingdom in my life? After all, that's the call of the disciple of Jesus Christ, is it not? To advance the kingdom of God and to be a part of that great movement of God's story of salvation in our world today and offering ourselves towards that, ask yourself that question. If that decision is still unclear to you, God reminds us in his word that there are times when simply we need to take a step in faith and move forward. And believe me, if you move forward with a choice or a decision in life and it's not God's will, he will close that door. And you will accept that and simply look for that other option. And he will continue to close doors until you choose that option that is best and most consistent with his will in your life. But you need to take that step forward. It's very much like going to the mall. I imagine you would have those here in Owen Sound as well. And as you are entering into a mall and they have these automatic doors that open, and you stand in front of that sensor. I don't know how these things work. I don't pretend to know that, but I do know that there are sensors somewhere in that cement or the mat that's on the floor over there whereby the door opens if you step on it. If you stand in front of that sensor and wait for that door to open, guess what? You'll be there all day until the door's, door's closed. You need to step forward onto that mat in order for that door to open. That's what God asks us to do. And if that door doesn't open, he'll open a window. God honors those who seek his will in their life and make decisions and move forward and if you make the wrong decision and many times you will god will honor that too and close that door and provide you another option that's how god works with his people that's how god worked with jonah as well and some of you then might say but pastor i'm hearing this and I'm looking at my life, and I've got it bad. I have not been following God's will in my life, and I'm beginning to understand what it means to follow God's will, and I've gone the wrong way, and I'm sure I've done this so many times in my life that God is finally going to say to me, enough is enough. I don't want anything more to do with you. Don't you suppose that that may be how Jonah felt when he was in the belly of that great fish? God has abandoned me completely. God is not going to give me another chance, we might say, because I've made such a mess of things in my life by following my own will instead of God's will for me in my life. But as we learn from Jonah, God is faithful as a covenant father, and in his grace, he provides for Jonah yet another opportunity to be able to follow that will of God in his life. And he opens the doors for Jonah once again to go to Nineveh instead of to Tarshish, and the blessings abound that are a part of that. Jonah struggled with that. In chapter 4, 
we have the incident in which Jonah sees that there are those who have responded to the gospel. And he basically is responding to God by saying, all these years I have been faithful to you and you have watched over me, yes, and, and now these people of Nineveh who have been doing their own thing and following their own will, and overnight they respond to the gospel and you give them the same grace that you have given to me. And I'm discouraged by that. You should be punishing them, not helping them in turning their lives over to you. And then God sends up a plant. He goes out and he pouts outside of the city. And God provides a plant to grow up where Jonah is pouting. And Jonah is very thankful for this plant because it provides him shade. And overnight, that plant shrivels up and dies. And Jonah gets very angry that this plant has shriveled up and died. And God said, should I have any more patience for Nineveh is what I have had for this plant. This plant is something that I have put up there. It is my decision, choice to do what will be done. And Jonah finally begins to understand what that will of God is for those whom he has called to himself, as evidently there were some in Nineveh that he had called to himself. And Jonah was called upon to be used by God to bring them in. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jonah understood finally that God's will on earth is consistent with his will in heaven and that he needed to follow that will as in heaven the angels would follow. What are some of the characteristics of how the angels will have followed God's will in heaven that we are called upon to follow as well? The angels follow God's will regularly, without failing. The angels follow God's will entirely. They don't cut corners. The angels follow God's will sincerely, from the bottom of their heart. The angels follow God's will willingly, not with a big grudge or grunt. The angels follow God's will fervently. They're excited to be able to follow God's will in heaven they do it wholeheartedly. They do it immediately. They do it constantly. It's a way of life for them. That is how God's will is to be followed on earth as it is in heaven as the angels follow God's will. That's the pattern that you and I are called upon as a response to the prayer that Jesus teaches us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jonah learned that lesson a hard way. You and I have a tendency to learn that lesson the hard way too. But God's call to us as we look at this is that if we are going to learn how to do the will of God in our own daily life, we need to understand that God's will reflects who He is. And we need to be reminded that we are called upon to learn his word and to be with God's people and to be influenced by God himself on a day-to-day -day basis in order to be able to know what God's will is for us in our lives and pray that he would give us the courage to follow his will for us in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Then we too will understand and know what it means to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how difficult it is sometimes for us even to discern what your will is. We thank you that we may begin to understand who you are and that your will 
being your will reflects who you are because it is, after all, your will. And everything that you have and do reflects who you are. Help us to know that and understand that. Help us to discern through the reading of the scriptures, through the talking with Christian brothers and sisters, mature in Christ and in our own personal devotions, walk with you, help us to discern what your will is for us in our lives and help us to follow it faithfully. Where we have failed, and we do every day, some more than others, forgive us. For we know that not following your will is the sin that you call for us to confess, lay before you, and ask you to forgive us. And we are grateful for the grace that you give to us that no matter how far we have wandered from your will for us in our lives, your love and grace is deeper and more profound than any distance that we will have ever wandered away from you. And that you will be there. We thank you for that, Father, and help us to be able to proclaim that, claim that for ourselves, and to proclaim that to others in our lives, too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.